0: Turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter thirteen. My wife is out of town, and it's kind of quiet in my house. My dog doesn't talk to me much, and uh, it's been a great time just to be alone with God and to pray and think and prepare and i don't know how you do when you're by yourself in your house how do you do i do okay <laughs> yeah i'm the boss yeah. i'm the boss of me and the dog Acts chapter 13 um god's just doing some great things uh I'm just so blessed by what God's doing here and just what God's doing in people's lives. And it's uh, just been a great eight months, hasn't it? I mean, we've been here since July, what's it, eight, nine months? Is that nine months? <coughs> and uh, just met so many people and just seeing what God's doing. And uh, it's just been so exciting to see the work of God in people's hearts. And uh, we've really just have experienced some great momentum and some great growth, meeting new people. And uh, our Wednesday nights have been really special. Uh, last Wednesday we were here. And our Wednesday, night, our Wednesday nights uh, have been like just such a deep time in the word and fellowship. And um, Wednesday night we talked about Acts 13 briefly from the standpoint of prayer And then yesterday, as God would do things, God kind of just changed my thought pattern about this morning and about what I'd like to share. And uh, I just read through Acts 13, uh, from 13 to chapter 15, and just saw a predominant theme of encouragement, encouragement. I want to just talk about that this morning, encouragement. And I want to just talk about what God has to say about how we grow, how we overcome in our life, uh, how we face daunting tasks, how we face problems, conflicts, uh, failure, how we face our own flesh and our own past, and how we grow beyond that. And there's only one way to do that, and that's really to be first encouraged in the Lord. And so in Acts chapter 13... Uh, we're going to start now the second half. Last week, can you believe last Sunday was Easter? It felt like a year ago. I don't know about you, but I felt like it's a year ago. I don't know. I drove by a church today uh, on the way up here. I think it's the Grace Church over here, and they had their Easter sign still out. And I was like, "Whoa, wasn't that like last year or something?" <laughs> and uh, now we're going back into our Acts, our just our march through the Book of Acts, and I'd like to wrap things up in the next four Sundays. This second part of the book of Acts is the part where we really see the rise of foreign missions, uh, where we see God begin to move outside of Jerusalem. God is getting the church out of its comfort zone where it started in Jerusalem and is now moving into territories that are really kind of foreign, kind of uncomfortable, kind of new for the new church. And so chapters 13 through 15 cover Paul's first missionary journey. And we see the extension of the church to the Gentiles in Syria and in Turkey. Syria and Turkey. Two very interesting places in today's politics, isn't it? And I don't talk a lot about politics here. I try to stay away from that. Um, But this Wednesday, Lord willing, uh, I'd like to talk about last days, what's happening in Turkey and in Syria. I just... Every night before I go to bed, I just read about this stuff. And my my wife's like, how can you read that stuff before you go to sleep? And uh, I just have some really great content. And uh, Turkey, and I don't want to get into this now, Turkey and Syria play a very large part in, in, in times, in the end times, believe it or not. And we see in the beginning of the church, Acts 13 through 15, a huge missions thrust into Turkey and into Syria we see the seven churches the seven churches of the book of Revelation we see are in Turkey Um, in your bible it's called Asia Minor which is a bit cryptic Asia Minor I didn't know what that was when I first heard that but Asia Minor just covers that area of Turkey and this is where Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark including Cyprus begin to minister uh, the gospel to the Gentiles and so um First of all, I just want to define what encouragement. What is real encouragement? What is real encouragement? Before we get into the text this morning, well, real encouragement is um, encouragement that is not a sentimental slap on the back or carnal camaraderie. You know what that carnal camaraderie is? Is like, "atta boy," you know. It's like, yeah, thanks, but my my internal life is in turmoil. But I'm, you know. I'm doing good on the outside. How many have been ever asked how you're doing? And you're like, hey, I'm doing great. But inside it's just like we got Hiroshima going on, including World War III and all world wars all at the same time. Uh, encouragement is not just something that is fleshly, but it is encouraging the inner man. It's where the spiritual man that has a calling on his life is being encouraged. It's when we are infused with strength and conviction in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I remember when I was a missionary in Poland, the times were getting tough. I, you know, we were doing a lot of outreach and and that was Eastern Europe and it wasn't very open. And I just remember like finishing an outreach. We did some street evangelism. I just remember walking home complaining in my mind. just like, oh, I don't know if this place is open. These people are just so not... Not so receptive, and I don't know about you know, and just how you know how we can go that through this negative cycle in our mind and and I just remember the Holy Spirit shouting at me this verse, second Timothy chapter two, verse one, "Be strong in the grace of God. be strong." And I just remember how challenging and how powerful those words were and how provoking they were. And this is the second thing that encouragement is it often in, in, includes spiritually challenging words that do, are directed at who we are in Christ. You know, when we are encouraged by the Lord, it's just not soft words where we're being patted on the head that hey, you're a nice person. But it's like when God begins to challenge you and I, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a, as a sibling, as a, as a child, we are challenged by a God who loves us to be directed into who we are in Christ. And that's, just, that's true encouragement. That's true encouragement when, when we are challenged, when someone takes us and says, you know what, I'm, t- I'm telling you this because I love you, and I want to encourage you in who you are in Christ and not who you are in the, in the flesh. Number three, the, the third de- definition that I like about encouragement, true encouragement, is what we see in the author of the book of Hebrews. He uses the word stirring up, which is a Greek word, paroxymos, which actually means to provoke and when you hear that word today, provoke, it kind of means like a negative word, it doesn't mean like, ah, oh, you're really provoking me, you're annoying me, I'm getting so provoked. But you know what it means? It means, to, it means to put a person in a place where they are faced with God's realities, that God loves them, that God is for them, and they have to make a decision. Now, some of you in this room, many of us in this room, have done that with people. We've talked to people, we've shared with people and say, look, this is who you are in Christ. And we can see the battle going on inside of their minds, can't we? Inside of their lives. This is admonishment. This is encouragement. And this is what God has called us to do. So encouragement is just a deep spiritual stirring when the deep calls to the deep. When the depths of God are calling out to the depths of who you and I are. It's a rhema that is spoken from the depths of God's spirit that cuts through all the layers of our domestic and our personal and our soul life. It's when God speaks to the inner man. It's when God cuts through all those. You ever peel an onion? I'm sure you have. You're peeling and there's layers to it. And you peel away one layer and there's another layer and you peel another way, layer and, there, and there's another layer. Those, we have all these layers in our life. And these, some of these layers are protective layers because we've been hurt before. We've been severely hurt. Uh, there are so many layers in our heart that we don't even know what the core is anymore. And we don't know why we do the things that we do. We don't know why we, we get the way we do. I was thinking about this the other day. I was, I was cycling, and I was thinking, why do we do the things that we do? What is this besetting psychology in our life that just it's this thing in my life keeps tripping me up over and over? And I think the Holy Spirit really ministered to me is because we have these layers of just, the, uh, of like, You know, one layer of pain and then the other layer over that is just is just um, is this uh, joy that we kind of create in our life, this joyous attitude. We're not really happy, but we're just compensating. Then over that is this analytical layer. And then over that is this all these crazy layers that, that God has to cut through through our relationships, through life situations, through difficulties and through trials. God wants to get to the core. Why? Because he wants to set us free. He wants to set you free. He wants to set me free from stuff that have been plaguing us from, since, we were, since, since childhood. Nine times out of ten, or maybe ten times out of ten, we deal with people with the top layer that we see. You know, When we get married, you're only seeing the first three or four layers, maybe. Maybe even more. I don't know. Maybe you're seeing the core of your spouse. But a lot of times in churches, in church in counseling, in, in our, dealing with our problems, other people's problems, we're only seeing, we're only dealing with the outer layer, or the second layer. And those are the layers that people want us to see. Well anyway, let's move on here. Paul here has this incredible message in Acts chapter 13, verses one and two. Um, Paul is, Paul's is brought to a place, Paul and Barnabas. and, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of fly through these chapters. 13, 14, and 15. Each chapter has an, has its own theme, and I want to hit that theme. But how many of you have ever flown in an airplane, and as you're coming in, you're landing, you're looking out the window, and you're seeing all these houses. You're going very fast. How many have ever flown in a plane and seen this? You look at the, you try to guess where you are, right? You're flying, and you look down, and you see the streets. You just see a few huge overview. You see the, You see the mall, you see the houses, you see the streets. What I just want to do kind of quickly today is I want to just fly over these chapters and look down and look at a couple things as we're going. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we see Barnabas and Saul are dedicated to the ministry. That's interesting because Barnabas is the pastor of the church of Antioch. Remember, Antioch is this church that started, that has this unique ministry now to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. The gospel is spilling out of the Jews. It's no longer an ethnically controlled gospel. It's no longer a gospel that's controlled by a certain race or religious group. Paul and Barnabas are called. And guess guess who tells them? It's the church. I love it. God tells the church to tell their pastor, we think you have a calling in your life, and we we want you and the guy you're discipling, Saul, we, we, we want to set you apart for God's work. We want to pray for God's plan for your life. Instead of the church kicking him out, which we see happen sometimes, the church was sending him out. And so they say, okay, we'll go. And so the first place they go to is Cyprus in chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. The first guy that they meet is a guy by the name of Elymas, who is a man who is steeped in witchcraft. This guy is bad news. He is like a warlock or whatever you want to call him, wizard, or whatever you want to call this guy. This guy was in it was into... Um, demonic activity he was into witchcraft and these people exist today and they hide behind the stage they hide remember um, the wizard of oz the guy behind the curtain a little guy you know he's running the whole show very insecure though and this we see these kinds of people and they exist today and they exist in governments and they are people that are being influenced by demonic activity to direct a nation in the, in the direction that is a godless direction. And so Eliam is here is controlling this guy, his name is Paulus, and he is the governor of the whole region, and they're in Paphos, Cyprus. My wife and I have been to Cyprus, we've been to Paphos, and um, it's just amazing to see that, that, that this man is controlling this whole area of Cyprus just by, just by his influence over the, count, over the governor. And so Paul discerns it. He blinds him the governor sees what happens and he gets saved and there's a great revival in the Paphos area. Sometimes our ministry has to be directly to uh, world leaders and to governors and to senators Uh, sometimes that is God's plan. In verse 15 I just want to read this verse to you Acts chapter 13 verse 15. This is the key verse in the chapter. Paul here um, they leave Paphos and then they arrive to the coast of Turkey to a place called Pamphylia, and uh, there they land and uh, they go to a synagogue. Now, why does Paul always go to the synagogues? These synagogues, is, these are like churches for Jewish people. This is where the Jews would meet. There were many Jews that lived outside of Israel, but they, when they would leave, when they would live outside of Israel, they always congregate like um, many ethnic groups do. They would kind of kind of huddled together and have their own restaurants their own things and they had their own synagogue so paul would always go to the synagogue first why would he go to the synagogue first because he knew in the synagogue there was a greek new testament called the septuagint and he would take that out and he would preach from that because some of these jews didn't even speak hebrew they only spoke greek and so he would go to the synagogue and he would preach this was his time he would go and he would target And so him and Barnabas go to the synagogue, and they sit down. And after the reading in verse 15 from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, Paul and Barnabas, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. I like that. I I read this, and I thought, you know, after reading the law and the prophets, that can be very discouraging. That can be very, very condemning. And maybe these guys understood it. And they saw Barnabas and Saul, and he said, Guys, if you have anything edifying to say, please say it. And so Paul gets up in verses 15 to the end of the chapter, and he begins to preach about the whole story of God's faithfulness in Israel. He begins to talk about the patience and the faithfulness of God to his plan of redemption. I love that. That's the most encouraging thing that we could say to people is when we talk about God's faithfulness in their life. When we don't know what to say to people, just talk about the faithfulness of God in their life. Talk about, talk about what God is doing. Talk about what God has done. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24. I was walking around this morning just drinking my coffee and just getting ready, and I, I, this verse was going through my mind. Faithful is he who began a good work in you. God is faithful to Israel. And this is what Paul, in Acts thirteen fifteen to the end of the chapter, is preaching to the synagogue. He's saying, God is faithful to you. He's saying, God has begun a good work in Israel. Let's, make, let's bring that home to us this morning. God has begun a good work in your life. God has begun a good work in your marriage. God has begun a good work in your family. God has, done a good, God has begun a good work in your health. God has begun a good work in your ministry. He's doing, I mean, here we are. We're just starting off here, and God's begun a good work here, hasn't he? It's a good work, isn't it? Amen? Amen. (laughs) It's a good work. It's like something good that God has begun. God is doing something good. God has begun a good work in your personal life, hasn't he? God has done a good work in your marriage, isn't it? God has done a good work. And we walk. sometimes we walk around and, Sometimes we think, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going on, you know, and all the questions might come, and some of us analytical thinkers that are thinking way too much, we wake ourselves up at the middle of the night, we start worrying about people, we start worrying about things. Why do we worry? Because we really love people, don't we? I mean, we love people, we love our family, we love our kids, there are people in all of our families that we worry about, and you know something? Convert worry to prayer. And whenever you start feeling the worry come, just say, you know what, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to convert this worry to prayer. I'm going to say, God has begun a good work in this situation. And, you know, sometimes the the good work that God begins in a situation is just you beginning to think with God about that situation. That's when a good work begins, doesn't it? Sometimes that's the start of a great work of God. Sometimes when we look at the need for God to move in our our children's lives, where does the good work begin? It begins when you and I start thinking with God in an encouraging way about His mindset about people and about our family and about kids. And this is what this is what Paul's talking about in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 39 and verse 42. Let me read this to you. And this is what this is what Paul is saying. This is the this is the um, the core of the encouraging message that Paul here is preaching in Pamphylia. He's saying, let it be known to you, verses uh, 38 and 39 and verse 42. Be it known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Isn't that awesome? That is great news right there. Brothers, this is what Paul is saying. Brothers, be it known to you. Paul, Paul is saying this. I want you to know. I want you to be convicted. I want you to be persuaded that this man th- has brought forgiveness. How many of us have come to church or wake up every morning with a, this load of guilt? I don't know about you, but that's just human nature. We just are guilty about stuff, aren't we? I don't know. Sometimes we do our best, and we still feel bad. It's just the base Adam's baseline psychology is just guilt and we're just by nature you leave us by ourselves long enough we're just going to start feeling guilty we're going to start feeling alienated from the life of God and this is Paul saying to this group of individuals encouraging them and this is the core of encouragement right here that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you I have about 400 different slides here I may not even get to them I don't know but I just want to focus on this point right here: is that this is the core of God's thoughts towards you and I today. This is the core of encouragement. Sometimes we just think about our past, don't we? Sometimes I think about my past and and all the, all the people that our, our past has affected. I don't know about you. Are, is there anyone here today that has a past that has ill affected other people? You don't have to raise your hand. I think every one of us could raise our hands here today, and but we could. Some of us could raise both hands. And say say that I have a past that has uh, ill affected other people, and sometimes we think about that like in you know like what what am I going to do about that? you know like can I fix that? you know can I repair that? can I you know think of David with Bathsheba, man did he mess up right i don 't it 's just very interesting to see in in, in psalm fifteen one i don 't see <coughs> And maybe David should have done this, but I don't see him doing this. It just kind of tells me that he knew how to deal with guilt with God. Do you see him going to all the in-laws, to the family of Uriah, talking to them, trying to diplomatically fix the big mistake that he made with their daughter? We don't see that. Am I okaying that? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that David did not try to fix his life. He didn't try to fix his past. Sometimes we think, well maybe if I do this or do that, maybe if I try to be a better example to everybody that sees that I'm a, that was a bad person before. I think that is just trying to fix something that has already been fixed 2000 years ago. 2000 years ago, our past has been resolved. It's been fixed, it's been it's been dealt with. And we don't need to be spending time <coughs> Being emotionally irresponsible and spiritually irresponsible living in our past. The only thing that when we, whenever the book of Deuteronomy uses this word, remember, that's the key word of that book, Deuteronomy. Remember, remember God's faithful. Remember how God brought you out of Egypt. Remember. Whenever we remember our past, let us think about one thing. God is faithful, right? God began a good work in my life. It got rough, <laughs> Hit a few speed bumps. You ever go through one of these little? And there's a lot of them in where I live in this area. You go through these little back roads to kind of miss Rayford, Rayford Road. Just something has to happen with that road. That's just I don't know. This God needs to do something with that road. I don't know. It's just it's it's crazy. I don't know. And we try, Sometimes we go through these little neighborhoods and we hit these speed bumps and we don't even see them and it's like wham and it's like whoa. Sometimes it happens in our life that we hit a speed bump, and we just got to remember this that through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, that by him, everyone in this room who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. How many of us have tried by the Ten Commandments? By the Ten Commandments to free ourselves from the power of sin. <laughs> do not envy. Whoa, that's a, okay, I'm envying right now after you know a car or something, you know, or or someone's motorcycle. Uh, or many people's motorcycles. Envy, okay. I really want a motorcycle. I really do, but this is I gotta, this is, I gotta work this out with my wife. Pray for me on that. My wife's amazing. <laughs> she is she's not here so I can build her up <laughs> by everyone who believes is free from everything. What's the everything? How much have you tried to free yourself from a law that was not even given to the gentiles. By the way, we're gentiles. The law was not given to you and I. It was given to the Jews, but the gentiles we have a we are a law unto ourselves in the book of Romans. Book of Romans I want to hit that on Wednesday nights maybe starting in in May, I don't know but we are a law unto ourselves. What's that law? It's not just a religious law, it's a social law, it's a a health law, it's a education law, it's a social law, it's what all parents are doing in that high school law. You know, so-and-so is, you know, in that high school, you know, the, the parents of those kids are doing this, so I gotta, that's my, that's what I gotta be doing, that's the law. We create all these laws and we are not free from anything because these laws have no power in themselves. It's the, it's the only way that we can be freed. It's just through the understanding the freedom. You know, I can't measure up like we, like Neil led us in that song, the simple gospel. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, have you ever had someone tell you, or maybe you've told yourself, that you're never gonna be anything? Maybe you're telling yourself that. Maybe you say, I'm never gonna be a great husband. I'm just a, I'm a loser husband. Or maybe you're saying that to you as, as saying that to yourself as a wife. Acts 13, verse 42. I like the response to this message. And they went out and the people begged that these things might be told them next Sunday. <laughs> I love that. They were like, Paul, that was such a great message. Can you talk about it again next Sunday? These people were so excited about the, this, this gospel of the finished work. They were so encouraged they wanted to hear it again, right? As in contrast to the law of Moses Remember back in the book of Exodus, Moses is speaking. Oh, he comes down off the mountain. He's got to put a veil over his face because his face is shining so much and everyone is so convicted by Moses. Like, oh man, that guy is so godly. Like, I can't even look at that guy because I feel so bad. And, 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 and they're saying, they're so convicted. But Paul is saying, Paul is hearing these words from these guys. Tell us again this next Sabbath. You know, this is the message right here that God wants to bring to the Gentiles and who are the Gentiles well if we look here at um, the, next, the next slide here is that these guys Paul Barnabas in Acts 13 verses 46 through 49 discover that God's got a plan that goes outside of the ethnic socio-economic lines that the gospel is not just for A certain group that lives in a certain part of the city. The gospel is for everybody. This gospel, this encouraging news, let's read it together. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And then Paul here is, they're both now speaking to the Jews. The Jews here totally react to the message of encouragement. We're going to find that whenever you encourage people, some people are going to react to that. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to first to you Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, and by the way, when we reject encouragement, when we reject God's kindness, when we reject God's initiation to us, when we reject and reject and reject and reject over and over and over in our life, there's a point, it's not that God forsakes us, but it's a point where we begin to discover and we, we begin to understand here what Paul says, that you know something? You yourselves have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. <clears throat> what does that mean? It means that, you know what? God has this amazing gift of eternal life for us. John chapter 4. When the, Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you understood who was talking to you and what I had to offer you, you would say, give me this eternal life. Behold, we are, we are turning to the Gentiles. Wow. Major... Shift in Paul's ministry now goes from the Jews to the Gentiles from the people that had it all together in suburbia and now I'm just moving and then Paul says now I'm just moving it to the Gentiles who were the outcasts who were considered by the Jews as dogs Jesus even tells one woman who was a Samaritan who was a Syrophoenician woman remember he says he basically in his discussion calls her a dog wow that is that's unbelievable That's unbelievable. And why does Jesus say that? He doesn't say that to offend her, but to provoke her in what she already knew who she was in the eyes of God, that she was going to receive something from Jesus. And he says here, we are turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. I like that. They weren't glorifying the men, they were glorifying the word of God. They were glorifying the message. They were glorifying the words of grace. They were glorifying the message. I wrote a book and I, you know, it's for you guys to read it's free. But it's not like we're glorifying my book. We're just we're glorifying the word of God. And they were glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I just want to wrap this up here. I not even halfway into the message, but I just really want to want us to walk away with this point here that what are the outcasts today? Who are the outcasts and who are these Gentiles? Gentiles who were non Jewish believers but who are the outcasts today think for a moment who are outcasts today who are the people that are rejected by society Uh, how about this who are the people that are rejected by the church how who are the people that are rejected by the spiritual elites who are people today that have no need in their life for encouragement you ever try to you ever try to encourage someone that doesn't see any need in their life for encouragement because they're in control (laughs) wow that's like a that's going to be an interesting road for them because at one point they're going to crash and burn and they're going to be needing that encouragement outcasts today are people that Jesus really seeks out Adam and Eve were outcasts you know Uh, sinners were you know sinners were outcasts or outcasts we were outcasts and sometimes we become very outcast in our minds whatever's happening in your life today, whatever's happening in our families, let's remember that God is not rejecting you. God is not rejecting who you are. Maybe you're in a process right now. Maybe you're kind of like in the crossroads in your life. Maybe we're at a place here where um, we just need a little encouragement. You know what that encouragement is? It's not a slap in the back. It's not a It's not an attaboy, but it's the Holy Spirit, the depths of the word of God in a form of a rhema, speaks to the depths of you and I and says, you are my servant. I am with you. I have not forsaken you. Do not remember the former things, for the former things have passed away. I am doing something new in your life. I'm doing something brand new in your life. And when you have two people that are facing this, facing life together, both individuals have to look at each other from the, from the perspective of God's forgiveness from the perspective of what God wants to do something new I just really believe that God is doing something new here he is doing something and the devil will fight it we see in chapter 14 the devil fights this encouragement and he throws in people in verse 1 I'm not going to go into it today but he, he'll bring in people in Acts chapter 14 verse 1 he'll bring in people that will try to poison people the people poisoner, and chapter fifteen, we see that um, that uh, when there's a problem in the church, the first church, when these Judaizers come in in chapter uh, fifteen verse one, and they say you can't be saved unless you do some other, unless you do something that will prove yourself. Okay, that's not the mind of God. That's a discouraging message. But in chapter sixteen verse five. When the churches begin to grasp these new churches, these Gentiles begin to grasp who they are in Christ. They begin to grasp the massive encouragement they are built up, and they begin to grow. You know what? Where growth comes from? Growth does not come from cool, clever programs, nifty technology, which is all awesome, which is great, and I, I'm all for it. I'm, I love technology. Uh, growth doesn't come from guilt programs. Guilt doesn't come from this program or that. It comes. Did I say gift? growth growth comes from (laughs) growth comes from this one thing and that is encouragement encouragement encourage yourself in the Lord today I want to finish with three things number one um, number one have someone have you been going through the slides for me okay because somehow they're changing by themselves (laughs) interesting technology this morning personal application number one I just want to finish with this number one Strength comes from the form of a body environment. You know what? You've got to come to church to get invited. You've got to come to church to get encouraged. You've got to just come. Keep Your marriage needs it. Your family needs it. You need it. Come and be in a body of envi- environment of, of, of encouragement. And this is the word of grace that builds us up. Uh, number two, and the second take home I wanted to give you here is strength comes in the form of right personal self-talk. Jude chapter twenty. Jude verse 21. How are we talking to ourselves? What are your words that you're using? Are you building yourself up from from divine viewpoint? I love how how David would speak to himself like this, "My soul, why art thou cast down?" I love that cuz David is talking to himself and he's challenging himself. He's challenging himself. He's saying, "Why are you cast down?" What is the way that we're speaking to ourselves? Are we saying that God is for me today? God is with me. God has not forsaken me. God is ordering my steps. And then the last thing I want to finish here with is strength comes in the form of defining the toxic poison that the devil throws into the mix. And we begin to rally around the finished work. Whenever the devil tries to throw in toxic thinking from your past, toxic thinking about people, toxic thinking about your calling, toxic thinking about your business, Toxic thinking about anything that's going on in your life, cast those thoughts down. Because when we think with God, we are going to encourage ourselves. When we experience failure, immediately start building yourself up in who you are in Christ. When you experience doubt or unbelief, encourage yourself. Speak to yourself, not just out boy words or a slap on the back, but let get alone with God. And some of us, for some of us, we were talking Wednesday night. For some of us, we just get in our trucks, and we just drive, and we listen to worship music. (laughs) Some of us, we just go into our, we go for a walk. Some of us go into our prayer room. But get alone with God and learn learn how to let God cut through all the layers and reach the core and build you up. Because when we're built up, only then can we face an awesome calling, and we can experience Really great work of God. Christian. Amen. Would you please read that Because I think everybody needs to hear that 2 right? Corinthians 10 Five. Yeah. Uh, Casting down vain imaginations that exalt himself against the knowledge of God, taking captive every thought that exalts itself. Mm-hmm. Taking captive every thought that exalts I'm quoting in the King James because all the verses that I know that I've memorized are always in the King James. Okay. Uh, casting, taking. Um, taking captive right that means taking control and that is just a little practical example here is when a thought comes we define it taking captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of the presence of God that's present now in my life and bringing it into captivity amen let's close in prayer Father we thank you God for the strength that comes through encouragement well we just thank you God for the encouragement that you gave Gideon when Gideon was living in a negative cycle he was saying that we are under the Midianites our country is under the oppression of the Midianites then he said I am of the least family of the Hebrews of the tribes of Israel and then he said I am the least of my house Gideon had definitely a, discur- a cycle of discouragement going on in his life as a man. And then the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ appearing to him in the Old Testament, said, Thou mighty man of valor. was the first thing he said to him. And that's what God says to you and I today. He says, You amazing husband anointed by God to be a husband. You amazing wife have been anointed to be a wife. You amazing single person you amazing servant you amazing uh, evangelist you amazing individual that's just made themselves available in the call of God and he says this to us not from the perspective of our, of our performance but he says it to us from the perspective of what he's already done to the forgiveness of sins and I just want to put out there this morning that if you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior uh, just say Jesus come into my heart I'm opening the door in Revelations 3 and I want you to come in and commune with me I want to invite you into my marriage I want to invite you into my, in my, my family my business, my finances my work situation, Lord, we want to invite you in God, we want to invite you into this this church plant, Lord, as we, as we just endeavor to lay down the, the foundation and the structure of what you want to do here in our midst. Lord, we just invite you in. And if you're here this morning, you've not done that before, and he'll come in and you will experience the forgiveness of sins. Today's a new day. It's a new start. Moments, a new start. It doesn't only happen on New Year or Easter, but it can happen after the, the week after Easter. And just start anew in the grace of God today. We thank you, God, for the encouragement that we have in Jesus Christ. We want to cast down any discouraging thoughts that are not your thoughts. We thank you for this awesome body of people here. You are so for each person here. God you are so for us God you are so for us today we thank you we praise you God we praise you just praise the Lord where, you're, where you are in your seat just worship him thank you God we worship you Lord and you are for us That if God be for us who can be against us neither principality nor power nor nor things in heaven nor things in the earth nothing can be nothing can separate us from who we are in Jesus Christ for the love of God and because of this we are made more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Lord today we are conquerors because of your love. We want to pray for our families God, our kids, our businesses today. We want to pray for um, Lori's health God. She is waiting for the results to come back in and God we just pray just for an awesome report from the doctor for healing god that if she needs healing lord that you would heal her 100 percent, god lord if there's anyone here that just needs a special touch in their business or in their family do it today god we just pray you'd bless this body here in jesus precious name we worship you amen